Welcome back to Presidents in Politics. I am one of your hosts, Professor Kayla McGee, joined with my fellow host, former Congressman Ross. Uh, Good morning. A challenge, isn't it? This one's an exciting one. It's a twofer. Yeah, it's the first doubleheader. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it we're is. We're already in the sports metaphors. We always said we're in trouble <laughs> when we start well, the sports metaphors. We're away from the founding fathers, and oh. now we're into the uh, to the to the to the change. I think that America starts to experience not only in politics but also in policy. Yes. And we see William Henry Harrison come along. Yes. Uh, to run against Martin Van Buren. Thirty-one days in office. Yeah. Yeah. That's he, it. Uh, uh, he caught pneumonia. They say, in fact, they say he caught pneumonia. Some say it was typhoid mm-hmm. that he got from the water in Washington. But mm-hmm. what we do know is that when he was inaugurated, he gave a two-hour inauguration two speech. Two hours. Yes. Now, I have been to a couple of inaugurations, and I've had the benefit of sitting there in the Capitol outside. Uh, in a, in, 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 and it gets a little cold that time of year in Washington. I think so. And it gets a little wet. <laughs> and only imagine that if you're the one speaking and you're up there for two hours. And he's 68 one, at sorry, the time. 68? 68, 68, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right, 68 right. at the time. And uh, doesn't really have a presidential legacy. No. But has a tremendous history as a military yes. hero. Oh, amazing military career. Yeah. Um, I, I read, speaking of his inauguration, it was an 8,500-word manuscript yeah. that he spoke off of. Now, this is where a lot of people believe that when he's out in the cold rain and he's giving this speech, that he catches a cold and the cold turns to pneumonia. It's kind of like you know, when you were growing up and your mom's like, put a hat on. Right. I, I, I don't think that's necessarily what it was. If you study also the medical care that was given to him, when he gets sick, the doctor's son to lay in bed for three days. Well, pneumonia sets up when you're laying down for that long. And then when they start treating him, they, uh, first of all, they blood let him, so they right. bleed him. So you're already <laughs> wounded. You're 68. You've been in bed. Now they bleed you. And then their follow-up care was um, opiums, strong brandy, and more bed rest. <laughs> no wonder the guy dies, yeah, right? No so kidding. You, you wonder if that uh, if if that medical care kind of led to his death. I remember um, in my church we had an old chiropractor. He was just a great guy, and his saying was this: "If you see enough doctors, they'll kill you." <laughs> well, put. Um, well put. And you wonder with William Henry Harrison if that was not the medical malpractice as much as well bloodletting. You know, they yes. don't do that anymore. For, you know, um, not in that. They just money but, let now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it's interesting because his his style of uh, politics in that presidential election changed the way we do yes. campaigns. He was actually, he was a very well-to-do man, mm-hmm. uh, a, a very learned, uh, aristocratic even, but he identified with the common man. Yes. In fact, so much so that Van Buren's campaign painted him <laughs> out to be, you know, uh, basically give him a, a, a keg of cider and a pension and he'll sit in his log cabin all day because he's Study just a Study moral philosophy. Yeah, but, but what's interesting is that he did something that hadn't been done up to that point, and he went out and gave stump speeches. Yes. And he went out and actually had rallies. He mm-hmm. did what we see in campaigns today. Yes. They go out and mobilize and see the voters and and, and and engage the voters, which Martin Van Buren didn't, but it was a very nasty campaign. Yes. In fact, I think that uh, the, the, the Harrison people referred to him as uh, um, Martin Van Ruin. Yes. Because when he was president of the Panic of, of, of 1837. Yes. Uh, but you just wonder how electric that might have been because they yes. say that there was an 80% turnout. Which is the highest to this yes. day. There's yes. never been a presidential turnout for that no. level. You Even the last, how contentious the last election yes. was and record-breaking. It wasn't record-breaking when you look at these numbers. And, and Caleb, one of the things that I've always said about um, you know, our obligation to vote is it's the only way we change the behavior and mm. direction of this country because That's the good. fewer people that vote, the more that those that get elected know that they can narrow their message without yes. having to broaden 
broaden the issues. Absolutely. If you have 80 percent of the people turning out to vote, you've got to have a broad message yes. that gets to a great deal of them, which means you can't cater to an extremist base. You have got to transcend the middle. Yes. And, and, and I don't think voters understand that. They would rather say, I'm just not interested. I'm apathetic. My vote doesn't count. Oh, by golly, does your vote not only count, but exponentially, if we all vote, we change the course of this country because those that are running for office now have to broaden their message. Thank you. And they have that. to govern. We look fashion. at the election coming up uh, in 2024, and how many times do you hear that? Well, it's one of two parties, and and, and I, I'm not even going to go because I'm not going to vote for one of these, and my vote doesn't matter. And as you said, the more that happens, the more restrictive the voting base becomes, and the more polar opposite the parties become. Yep. And the number one thing that's going to begin to cure this polarization is a broader voting turnout. Absolutely. You don't even you don't even have to change the issues. No. But what you have to do now, if I'm running for office, is I have to address all these issues. Absolutely. If I want to get elected, I can't just count on that extreme base that's always going to be there, the super voters, and mm -hmm. I know they're going to vote for me. Now I have to broaden that. And in doing so, I have to govern accordingly. Because once you campaign then you have to govern yes. if you win. And that changes the game completely. And as mm. we've seen in a lot of these presidents that we've done podcasts in, they campaign one way, but when it comes time to governing, they have changed their course. And and when we get into John Tyler, we'll, we'll talk about how he oh had to Lord, do he that. He was a flip-flopper. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I mean, on so many levels, yeah. right? But, you know, if it wasn't for William Henry Harrison, we wouldn't have John Tyler. Yes. And Harrison, when you talked about his um, his stump speech and his, his unique way of, of going around the country and polling, it said that his, his crew would bring um, kegs of hard cider. Yes. And they would go around and basically yeah, break open these kegs of hard cider. They have like these kind of uh, what the the Walking Dead concerts. Yeah, a drunk of, fest. You uh, know? Yeah, it I really mean, is. A, a, a political rally is where it was Burning all you could drink. I mean, like, yeah, exactly. Like what is this? But yeah. it, it, it turned into like this massive following that Harrison had. He's the yeah. oldest president by the way that will run at this point, yep. which I think raised a very interesting question. I think we have time with this to talk about the age limit in the presidency. Right. Right now as we talk in my classes, I know I have broad <laughs> very large survey classes, and um, one of the things I always have students talk about is we need an age limit, we need an age limit, we need an age limit on the presidency. And I think that's an interesting question that we, we talk about as political scientists is this idea of an age limit in the presidency. First of all, the Constitution never put an age limit on no. the presidency at all. There's an age minimum. Right. And it's interesting because the age minimum is 35. Right. And the average man age lifespan at that time was 37 mm -hmm. when the Constitution was written. Now, granted, that's a skewed number because that's taking in um, infant mortality rate. So that's a skewed number. True. Um, but nonetheless, I believe the founding fathers desired that the presidency be a final step in the chapter of a distinguished life, not a stepping stone. I, I, I concur with you in that in regard to, because, you know, for the House of Representatives, it's 25. Yes. So it's it's like there's this 10-year period of transition, and 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 therefore the presidency should should be the last, yes. you know, ambition of those that seek to be leaders of this country. I know when I was uh, talking to my students and we were having, they were debating and we were talking about this, and I'm like, age limit, and I just once yes, and I'm like, what should it be? And then the kid looks at me and goes, 60, that's when the mind starts to deteriorate. Wow. So, you know, if we go from 35 to 60, that's a that's a tiny window yes. here. And if we look at the majority of presidents who, who led very well, most of them were well past 60. You think about Ronald Reagan. You think about oh, a yeah. lot of these leaders. I don't know if an age limit is the way to, to fix the issue we have now. Now, granted, one of the complaints is that the modern American politics is like a gerontocracy, that we have this idea of people. Well, it is today. I mean, some of these <laughs> the guys. the top like, of the ticket, yeah, on I both mean, sides. Like, some of Congress are like 113. I mean, right. I mean like, these guys yeah. are. I served with John Dingell. Okay. And when I was in Congress, 
Congress with John Dingell. John Dingell had been there for 56 years. John Dingell had been in Congress longer than I had been alive when I was serving with him. And prior to John Dingell getting elected to Congress, his father held that seat. And wow. after John Dingell passed away in Congress, his wife took that seat. So, you know, there is this own little, you know, empire. It's a monarchy. That, yeah, well, it is, <laughs> and, you know, from, from the state of Michigan. And it's, it's amazing. Yes. Um, so what's your thoughts on this? How do you – I guess what I'm saying is we, we see – uh, political leaders having strokes on stage, falling down, trying to hand diplomas out, can't even formulate sentences. Uh, how do we? What's the vetting process uh, for cognitive clarity with a political leader? What do you What do you think the solution to that is? Well, an educated voter, for one. Uh, you know, we we are so sensationalized by campaigns that we fail to do our own research and and. Uh, in, uh, investigation of the quality and character and competency of a particular candidate. I agree. And, and if we're going to now put in cookie-cutter requirements that at a certain age you can't uh, run for office or be elected to office, I, I don't know if that's the answer. I, I think we're doing a disservice to the voters, and the fact that we allow them to be to elect somebody uh, is an obligation on the voters to go and do their yes. work to make sure we do that. And and yes. that's something we should be teaching from, from day one in K through 12, all the way up through higher education and as a way of life. We've got to engage people in this process, challenge them to find out who their leaders are Good. and what they stand for. I have a difficult time putting an age limit Me on too. it. So. I mean, there are blue zones around the world where people are 103 and they still think clearer than 40-year-olds here in, in America. Yeah. Um, the food, the diet, the nutrition, the exercise, there's so many things that, that play into the role of, of cognitive longevity, of the yes. brain actually lasting well. Another thing I always tell my students is if you look at the youngest presidents throughout history, they were always the most impetuous and they usually wanted more presidential power. Yes. If we think about um, even Teddy Roosevelt, and I love Teddy Roosevelt, but he at that time is the youngest. He, he calls it the bully pulpit. He he desires more power. We've got JFK and his advisors in Vietnam. Yes. Uh, we think about Barack Obama when he takes in more executive uh, orders than any other president. Amazing. I, I think when we bring the, these young guys in, they still have that desire to, to use their, their personal spunk um, almost to override the system. And I think with age comes that maturing process that maybe works with the system more and maybe less just pushes their own agenda. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching on this. No, I think you're right. I, I You know, Presidents, the personality of presidents play into their success uh, mm. as much as the policies yes. that, 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 that they um, that, 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 that they pursue. And and I will tell you, you know, the, the the charismatic nature of both a John F. Kennedy and a Bill Clinton and a Barack Obama did a lot to change the course of this country. Mm. You agree with them or not, but their charismatic uh, behavior certainly certainly did. We do have the Twenty Fifth Amendment, of course, so it'll address mm -hmm. competency, but it's never been exercised. Never. But that, that you know. Impeachment wasn't exercised that much either until just recently. In fact, as we talk, again, when we go into John Tyler, he, even he was uh, was uh, withstood an impeachment investigation uh, by 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 Congress. Yes. So you know, I think that the bully pulpit, if you will, because I love that expression, <laughs> can actually be used to their advantage if mm. they're. Uh, charismatic enough to connect with the, 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 the voters. It's kind of the idea that a monarchy is the best form of government if you have a good king. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, yes, as soon as you right. have a bad you're king, right. you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So uh, going back to Harrison, though, I, I, his military career is what he's really known for, right? And, brilliant uh, military career. Brilliant military man. Uh, of course, the Battle of Tippecanoe. Yeah. Uh, which became this, the political slogan, right? John, yep. uh, Tyler at Tippecanoe and Tyler, Tyler too. too. I mean, yep. that becomes the idea of the first political slogan. Yep. Uh, when he woos his, his future wife, 
his father-in-law yeah. is very unimpressed. I don't know if you've read this or not, uh, with who he is, because, I mean, he's a military man. He's still in the idea of being an officer, and his father pulls him aside, because they sneak off and get married, yes. and his future father-in-law pulls him aside, and he says, how are you going to provide for my daughter? And I, and I love the quote. He said, by my sword, sir, and my good right arm. <laughs> it's, I, I, you would have won me over right there. I mean, if this is the guy who just made about it, you would have won me over with that, but I love this with, with Harrison. Like, he is just this he's kind of... He's a guy's of, guy. He is a guy's guy. Yeah. Incredible military career, incredibly just um, charismatic. He's also a devout Christian. Yeah. Very devout Christian, especially in the last two decades of his life. I, I remember writing down as I was reading and researching, he always worshipped on Pew 45 at St. Wow. John's Episcopal. It was his yep. pew. I mean, he might have been Baptist. We always had that pew reserve. Um, and they say that one of his last major purchases before his death was a new Bible because he had written notes in his last Bible. Amazing. Um, very, very, very devout follower of Christ. He read his Bible daily, especially when he was in office. Well, those, you know, 31 days. days. <laughs> That's 31 days. But um, he felt as if he wanted to have the the wisdom of God impact his presidency. Wow. Which I know George W. Bush said the same thing, yes. uh, that every every morning he started off the Word of God uh, being what he wanted to, to reflect his mind upon before making political decisions. Um, and I love that. I, I love I that legacy uh, throughout the American presidents. In fact, if you study all 46 American presidents, they all, at least in name, uh, doesn't mean they practice, but in name, claim Christianity. That's true. And they all claimed an affiliation or a love to the Bible. Yes. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why God has blessed this country like he has. I really Amen do. Amen to that. So Harrison is also the first Whig president. The only Whig president. The only Whig president. Yes. He's the Alpha and Omega, right? <laughs> yes, he's, exactly. He's it. Um, but he was also very bipartisan in that he refused to, to fire good, competent Democrat leaders in his, yeah. in his cabinet and around the office. Um, and I find that interesting. He didn't just hold two-party politics. No, he did not. And I think that set the precedent for John Tyler, too. So when John Tyler uh, assumes the presidency as the vice president, which creates a, a somewhat constitutional crisis because yes. the Constitution doesn't specifically say that the vice president becomes president, it says that they will act as president. And does that leave one to suspect then that we have to have a new election right away? Are they acting as president and but only serving still as vice president? And Tyler goes in and says, you know what? I like this White House. I'm yes. going to go ahead and uh, change the curtains and come in here. And by the way, I'm giving an inaugural address if you all want to show up. Yes. You know, which was really And retakes odd. the oath as well. He retakes the oath. And, and, Set the precedent and, for that. Yes. And it, it was never challenged and again mm -hmm. until the 25th Amendment, which clearly establishes that the vice president becomes president upon the death of the president in office. And he just took over. So let's let's go ahead and switch on to to <coughs> Tyler. And as you talk about this, um, Tyler is away visiting family, Williamsburg, Virginia, I believe. Yes, 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 because that's he was born in like I think it was Charles City County or somewhere, which also is a is where. Um, Harrison was born. They yes. were born in the same area. Which is one of the few tickets of a president and a vice president coming from the same state. You never yeah, do that. That never. defied political reason because you want to secure multiple bases. Correct. And this is, I believe it's the only time. I have to go back and check. I, I think, think it's the right. only time in history where a president and a vice president come from the same state. So they're interlocking their same home state, which was kind of political suicide. We'd yes. never do that in today's time. No, you got to broaden your base. Exactly. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting and point. And he comes in succeeding the, the, the oldest person to serve yes. as president. He's the youngest person to serve yes. as president. Yes. And again, has a little bit more of that drive to maybe use the bully pulpit more. So maybe you kind of yes. uh, see that. But anyway, that he's at Williamsburg, Virginia, visiting family. And it's the Secretary of State's son, I believe, Webster, who yeah. comes, knocks on the door. He comes to the door. He, he's, he's tired. I think they said he was still having like a sleeping hat on when he comes <laughs> to the door and kind of ticked that he's there. And they hand him a sealed letter. He opens it and it says the president's dead. I believe he exclaimed, oh my goodness, the president's dead. And now he goes back to the White House. No one really knows what to expect. And, and, and I, I believe I read that it was he moved in the White House within a week of the funeral. Wow. Because he wanted to secure that. I mean, like the 
black drapes are still hanging up, mm-hmm. but he wanted to secure the office that I am now the president. And like you said, he sets that precedent early on. His enemies often called him, and I thought this was actually kind of petty yeah. but hilarious, his accidency. Say, yeah. Right? Instead of his excellency, his accidency. Yes. Like you stumbled into the office and you don't really deserve it. And John Quincy Adams becomes one of his biggest um, opponents. Yes. And John Quincy Adams says that you need to be call yourself the acting president, not the president. And also John Quincy Adams gets mad that he should not have the presidential salary. He wants him to still be paid just the vice presidential salary throughout the remaining term. Yeah, John Quincy Adams, I think, also was behind the impeachment. Yes, uh, he was a mover shaker in it. Yeah, and then, it, 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 but you got to give Tyler credit for his independence. Yes. Uh, to the extreme. I mean, he 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 did it to his own detriment. And, yeah. You know, he he alienated his party. He alienated the Whig Party. They kicked him out. Yeah. So he's technically the f- only. Well, they say Washington as well. We only had two technical independent presidents. You have Washington, yeah. and you have you have Tyler. I disagree because Washington was in many ways a federalist, right? I mean, he supports oh, the Constitution. So. Everyone's yes. like, oh, he's not a federalist. He didn't claim to be a federalist, but he literally signs a letter supporting the United States Constitution, which is the fundamental aspect of if you're federalism. a federalist. An anti-federalist. Yeah. So I think you can make the case that Tyler's probably the only true independent president we've ever had. Yeah, and by choice, essentially. He basically doesn't want to do what his party wants him to do. He vetoes the National Bank. Doesn't like Clay. Because Clay like has Clay. too much power in the Whig Party. Yep. Um, and and, and, and uh, Harrison already told Clay off, basically. And now when Tyler comes in, he really tells Clay off. He's just kind of tired of him being the kind of puppet master behind the Whig Party. Yeah. And he has no support in Congress. No. Uh, interesting, he was a slaveholder. Yes. But he sought to... Um, uh, uh, keep Washington, D.C. from having slaves, but wouldn't uh, allow that unless Maryland and Virginia agreed to not allow uh, Washington, D.C. to to be slaveholders. And within the last three days of his office brings Texas in the Union as a slave state. Yes. Um, So you definitely see his allegiance. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, he is the only president, the only surviving president who actually joined the Confederate cause. Uh, yeah, he, he, actually, he joins the Confederate cause. Oh. A, a year, I think he only lives a year yeah, into the Civil did. War. He dies. Yeah, he's but he actually joins the Confederate cause and was set to actually serve in their House of Representatives. Yeah. The Confederate House of Representatives. Yeah. But prior to that, after he's out, uh, after after he re- leaves office, he tries to negotiate the, 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 the peace mm-hmm. the, the, to keep the union together. And unfortunately, it fails at that. So he goes back to Virginia and follows in line with the secession mm-hmm. uh, conference in, in Virginia and supports uh, the Virginia seceding from the state. And, and, and it's like, wow, this guy was president of the United States, and now he's... Joining a rebellion. Joining a rebellion. And, and, but if it wasn't for him, Florida would not be a state. <laughs> that is true. I mean, Florida still would be a state. <laughs> but on his last day in office, yes. he signs the... He gets uh, Texas the, the, in three days in office yeah. and Florida on his last day of office. Yeah. Um, which, which, which is good foresight. Um, but unfortunately, the man had, you know, no political astuteness, I think, to build coalitions. No. We never support. even replaces his VP. No, he's you're the right. only president who will serve. He serves almost the four years because, you know, I mean, minus one month. Yeah. He serves almost the four years without a VP. So I'm pretty sure it's the only time in American history where you don't even have a vice president for that entire term. Yeah. And one of the reasons why is because he wasn't really sure constitutionally because, again, the 25th Amendment hasn't taken place. That takes place after the assassination of JFK, if I'm not right. mistaken. So up until this point, there, there's really nothing laid out. So he's not really sure how to handle this. So he never even nominates he a just, VP. No, and he just sets precedent doing it his way. Yeah. And it's and it stayed that way thereafter. Yes. And we had several other presidents that ascended because of the death of the president. Yes, of course, then. Teddy Roosevelt's one of the most famous. Yeah. And then Lyndon B. Johnson. Yeah. Um, there, there, it happens multiple times since then. I think it happens Harry eight Truman. or nine. Yeah, Harry Truman. It's eight or nine times. Let's go back and check. But it's eight or nine times it'll happen after this. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yeah. 
and, and he sets the precedent. And again, had he gone about this a different way or had he listened to the popular opinion of the day, they probably would have done a special election or yeah. he would have been an acting president. Um, he would have been the vice president in charge, but he totally redefines what American politics are going to look like. So he is a driven man. <laughs> He's a driven man. And um, uh, his first wife, Letitia, I guess they have eight kids. I believe so. And she dies while he's mm-hmm. in the White House. Suffers a stroke. Yes, yeah, Two strokes, stroke. actually, because she lives for a while on the first stroke, becomes bedridden, only leaves her bedchambers one more time, I think, on the uh, the uh, marriage of a daughter, yeah. and then has a second massive stroke. And so um, he remarries. 30 years, his junior. He's 52. Yes. And she's 22. <laughs> 22-year-old first lady. Yes. Yeah. I barely graduated from college, right? Oh, yeah. In today's time, that's yeah. like a scene. I often, when I, when I read this, I just laughed to myself because I thought about my seniors in college, and I'm like, "Good lord!" I mean, one of these students being the first lady of the country at the age of 22. 22. Yeah. Right. Your frontal cortex doesn't even finish forming until you're 24. Right. I mean, like your decision making. And, and like, she liked to entertain. She loved to entertain. One of her last balls was was what 3,000 people, wow. I, I believe, and and just just. A, a real party uh, person, which again, you're 22. Yeah, yeah, and you're living in the White House. <laughs> you're living in the White House on the taxpayer's dime. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing when you just look back at our history. People say, "Oh, these are the worst of times. We're polarized. Everything." Wait a second, man. Yeah, look at how things were way back then. Mm. You know, and, and we've had this as part of our history. Understand our history and understand that our future is still just so bright because we've come so far despite yes. the problems that we have today. Yes. We literally were able to heal from a civil war. Yes. I'm pretty sure we can heal from the past election, the election of 2024. Like, yes. Whatever it may bring. Whatever it may bring, we can heal from. We healed from a civil war. Yeah. Right? Like, we're our, our founding documentation, if we stay to it, has allowed us to survive hardships. That's Absolutely. the beauty of those founding dogs. It's the beauty of the Constitution. That's the beauty of all these founding ideals is that they can survive storms, right? Yes. And they have been weathered by yes. many storms. Yes. Those principles have been weathered more times than not. Uh, and, and we continue to, to challenge them, but we haven't lost the faith in them. Agreed. And I think that's where the linchpin of the future of the United States rests Yes, is, is will the American people, and we're seeing a decline in trust in government, and probably in some regards with good reason, yeah, but merited. You know, all the more reason and not to ignore it, but to get involved in it. Yes. Well, we should, I think the distrust in politicians is necessary, but the distrust yes. in the system is not. Correct. The system can correct itself if, yes. the, if people are engaged in the system. The system works. Absolutely. The people at the top, they don't do a whole lot of work right now. Yeah. Think of, the, think of, think of the, the times in American history where, you know, it's almost as if there has been divine intervention. Yes, I agree. And, and, I, and I think it's because of the system that was set up by our founding fathers that allow for certain people to come about at a time when everything looks hopeless. Yes, and, 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 you know, again, we talked about Andrew Jackson a couple weeks ago, and, and I loved your analogy of how he was not necessarily a good man, but a great man. Yes. And, 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 and he, we've seen people like that. You know, we'll, we'll talk about Harry Truman when he comes along and, and you know, obviously Abraham Lincoln, who yes. we could probably spend days on oh my in a goodness. podcast. But it, it's all because of the system that we have in place. Hmm. And our history has shown us that not only can we withstand it, but we can make it so much better. Better. Agreed. And actually, I'm glad you brought Lincoln up. Tyler met Lincoln when Lincoln was a young politician and hated Lincoln, yeah. believed that Lincoln was a was a central power government man and believed that he was one of the most unfit men for the office. 
Um, boy, was he wrong. Yeah, was he ever wrong? <laughs> was he wrong? But think about, well, again, I don't want to get into Lincoln, but the persistence of that man was absolutely oh amazing. Goodness. How easy it would have been to give to give up. Multiple times. You know, and um, so so John Tyler comes around at a time when um, you've had you've had the financial crisis, the Panic of 1837. Um, you've got a president that that dies in office, and 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 he decides, John Tyler decides, he's now going to be president. By golly. Come, you know, this, or high water. Yeah, this is the way it's going to be. Um, and then he just, you know, sticks his, you know, thumb in the nose or his, his nose in the air at, against his party and his party rejects him. Yes. And he is a man with no party and he's in the White House. No party, no um, VP. Yeah. And little support. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if, you, if you've read this or not, but one of, one of the things I always do in my class is really interesting is he almost gets killed in office as well. Uh, he, he's, he's touring the USS Princeton, which is the largest naval ship of the time. And this, this groundbreaking naval ship has something called the Peacemaker. Sounds like a Clint Eastwood gun, right? Like the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the Peacemaker. Yeah. But it's the largest cannon they'd ever built on a naval ship. And he's doing, you know, the whole presidential christening the ship. And he's riding up and down the, the Potomac on it. And they have been shooting the cannon off. And I think they've already shot off twice. They shoot off a third time. And he's below deck this time. And the cannon explodes. Mm. And it kills the Secretary of State... The Secretary of Navy and his future father-in-law, by the way, are all killed. And he was supposed to be there for that cannon third fire, but he was below deck taking care of something. Amazing. Had he been there, you would have had back-to-back presidents die in office. There's no VP and the Secretary of State is killed. Wow. So who, so you go to the Speaker you know, well, yeah, yeah, you And the, the 25th Amendment hasn't even happened you're yet. Right, you're right. You're right. So who becomes president? Speaker of the House. Uh, Right. So you just, again, wow. providential hand of God. Like, yes. you already is a constitutional crisis. Yeah. We were just, I mean, within a few feet away from total, what, anarchy in the country? Like, yeah. Would the country, who's already divided, no VP, Whigs don't like the Democrats, Democrats don't like so-and-so, and now we're going to go to whoever even was the Speaker of the House, I don't even know, I, wow. I don't have that memorized, who that would that. even have been, would they even have accepted them as president? Yeah. Would this have led to a sooner civil war? That's probably what would have happened. Ex- exactly probably what would have happened. But just because he was delayed coming up on deck. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Don't tell me you don't believe in a providential hand of God. (laughs) I don't don't believe all this is circumstantial. I don't believe this all just happens by chance. Not at all. Not at all. And it's interesting. Because of him, the Navy was rebuilt yes. under Tyler. Yes. Uh, because of him, we have the National Weather Service, or we just started out the uh, the Weather Bureau. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had some good things. You know, he, he like some you good said, ideas. he brought in Texas. Yes. Signed Florida into law mm-hmm. as a state. Um, and it also negotiates one of the best peace treaties with China. He was pretty good with foreign true. relations as well, right? Because yep. this was one of the first times that we could start trading with China and opens that up. And he had some good ideas. It's just... His issue of slavery, he he is yeah. he is dogmatic on that, and he takes the wrong side on that. He does, unfortunately, to his own detriment. Yes, and to his legacy. Yeah, I, I still we talked this at the beginning of the podcast, but I cannot imagine a former seating president joining a rebellion. No, like yeah, well. <laughs> A seated president. I'll yeah. Say, yeah, a seated president, yeah. yes. <laughs> like, how does that even work? Like, how do you go from swearing an oath to the Constitution to now going against that government structure? Well, you know, let's see how things go in 2024. Agreed. Let's see where this next campaign takes us for the presidency. Agreed. And, and I think the American public have to, you know, hang on, be involved, get engaged. Yes. Um you know, be the leader that you need to see lead our nation and, yes. and, and let those attributes that you exude hopefully carry on to be the leaders that we absolutely need. I love on the deathbed of, of Harrison as he was as he was dying, one of his final expressions were this. He said, I wish you to understand the true principles of the government. 
I wish them carried out, and I ask for nothing more. Mm. I like that. That here's, is good. Here's Harrison. That's a dying. humble. That's, that's a, a humble man. Again, he, he's 68. He's, he's an yeah. older man. I think that kind of comes with age, right? Humility yes. should come with age. It doesn't always. Well, Some people grow old without growing right. up. <laughs> yes. yes. Right? But hopefully as we age, we become more humble, right? I, think, I really believe that humility and gratitude are the two greatest signs of maturity. Yes. I really do. The, the, to me, that's the mark of a mature person is if you're humble and you're grateful. Humility and gratitude. If, if you grow in those, you're maturing as a person. I agree. I, I, believe, I believe that, truly. And here he is, and he says, I want you to understand the true principles of the government. Not the office of president, not my legacy. Hold to these founding ideals, and we're going to be okay. And I honestly think that's the message hasn't changed. Caleb, not only hasn't it changed, but think about that period of time back then. Government wasn't the be-all to end-all back no. then like it was today. There's no, like new de- today. no new deal, no great society. Yeah. There's, there's no regulatory agencies out there telling yeah. you, you know, this is still uh, an opportunity for people to excel within the confines of the rules that the government has set up through Absolutely. Congress. And, and, and There's not a 35% tax bracket. No, <laughs> no. And, and people can succeed based on their own initiative and their mm. creativity. Still today, it's just that we've got a few more hurdles today. <laughs> um, interesting. I, I, a real quick story. I, I don't think I ever told this. One, one time when I was running for office back in 96, I wasn't successful, but I was giving a speech uh, down in um, uh, Highlands County, and I was talking about the Boy Scout camp down there, Fl- Camp Flaming Arrow, and and the scouts, the, the scouts wanted to put in an outhouse, you know, because that's where their camp is. Well, they had to go to get an architectural drawing. They had to go to Swift Mud. They had to, by the time they were able to get anything approved, the, the camp had been over with, and everything, and it was cost prohibitive to even think of doing. And and it's just the absurdity of how much government has intruded in our lives, that for those that have no perseverance. Unfortunately, your creativity doesn't get a chance to excel. Mm-hmm. And, and it, despite government's intrusion on in our lives, all the more reason we need to be involved so that we have the opportunity to individually excel, be the innovative, creative person that makes a better society. Good. I like that. Yeah. I'm a bivocational pastor, and we literally had a, a, a ticket written to us because our sign flashed one second too long on the side of the road. And a guy actually sat there who worked Come for on. the city and counted how many seconds the message on the sign flashed. Oh, my. Oh, my. So when you look at this time period and how little government had in in the daily aspects of life, and now we're to the point to where we need architectural plans for an outhouse, and we count the amount of seconds that something sits on a sign, and you wonder how these founding fathers would have felt about that. Is this true to the principles of government? No. No, but, you know, again, you look back at Tyler, and and for all his flaws and faults, he was an independent thinker, he was an independent actor, and he wouldn't tolerate government overreach. No. Period. No. And, and, and leading up to him, most of these, if not all of these presidents, would not tolerate government overreach. Agreed. I just hope we can continue that on today. <laughs> uh, I, up until, what, the 80s with Reagan, you didn't have a lot of presidents who peeled back some of the layers of government. And I think True. more than anything else, we need a presidential leader who is devout to the biblical principles of the Word of God, who is willing to peel back some of the layers of government. And we need we need leaders in Congress who are committed to regaining the powers that they've ceded to the administrative and the regulatory yes. agencies. Yes. Uh, you know, they need to be, hold themselves more accountable. Uh, the, the the Congressional Review Act, which allows that today, is not exercised like it should be. We Agreed. need to be able to make sure that the, those whom we elect can impact our lives better than those whom we don't elect yes. that sit in a bureaucratic office somewhere. Bureaucracy, that's what I was talking about. Bureaucracy is not voted in. No one ever thinks no. about that. All these major bureaucratic agencies and leaders have never been voted in or not accountable to the people. Therefore, they don't care what you think. And they influence policy more, more, more in, yes. in modern day times. Absolutely. 
So, again, as we as we wrap this this idea, this first double header. Yes. First double header. I, I want to leave you yet again with these words, the dying words of Harrison. I wish you to understand the true principles of government, and I wish them to be carried out. And I ask nothing more. Great note to end on. Thank you very much. This has been Presidents in Politics. Thank you.